Chapter Fourteen of the Mystery of the Hidden Room. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Hidden Room by Marion Harvey. Chapter Fourteen, Graydon McKelvey. It was easy enough for me to procure through Mister Vaughn an interview with Ruth, and the next afternoon, Mister Trenton and I visited her in the prison or rather in that gray reception room, which is as far as outsiders may come in the tombs. She was delighted to see her father, concerning whose silence she had been quite worried, and when he broke down and told of yesterday's happenings, she wept with him for a few minutes, then quietly dried her eyes and set herself to comfort him. What she said I do not know for I did not like to intrude myself upon their sorrow, and I withdrew to the other end of the room and looked out the grated window. To think that Ruth, my beloved, should have to spend her days in such a place, barred from association with her friends and from the blessed light of day, innocent of any wrong, yet suffering for some wretch's crime. Ruth and the horrible creatures who infested the jail, the thought goaded me to desperation. Abruptly I swung back toward her and spoke hoarsely. "'Ruth, for God's sake, if you are shielding Dick, tell us at once, for I can stand this suspense no longer.' She had been seated on a chair beside her father, but at my cry she jumped up and came to me. Verily I must have been mad, I think for I caught her to me and kissed her again and again. A moment she clung to me, then she pushed me away. "'Carlton, you must not,' she sobbed. "'No, no,' as I followed her. "'Not until I am cleared of the shadow of murder.' "'You have committed no crime,' I replied savagely. "'What do I care for the world's opinion?' and I caught her to me once more. "'Carlton, if you kiss me again, I—I I shall hate you,' she whispered fiercely. Instantly I released her and walked rapidly away to the other end of the room. "'Carlton, please don't be angry,' she said, brokenly, timidly touching my arm with the tips of her fingers. "'But, oh, my dear, if you kill my self-respect—' what in all the world have i left to offer you humbly i carried her hand to my lips forgive me dear i don't deserve to be allowed even the privilege of looking upon you she gave me a smile so forgiving that it brought the tears to my eyes and seeing how i was moved she turned away to her father ruth he said relieving the tension we have come here, Carlton and I, to ask you a question. Yes, Daddy, she replied softly, sitting down beside him again. He drew out Dick's letter and handed it to her. When she had read it, he explained the process of reasoning that had led him to believe that Dick had killed Darwin and had then committed suicide. And now, Ruth, if you saw him there in the study and helped him to escape, if you are shielding him as you did once before, I hope you realize that he is quite unworthy 
and that it is too much of a sacrifice to you to suffer for his crime. He had spoken with difficulty, showing how much the words cost him, yet determined to make amends for all the wrong that had been done to Ruth, both by himself and Dick. When he finished, she looked from him to me in utter bewilderment. "'I am shielding no one, Daddy. And as far as I know, Dick was not in the study when I was there.' There was no mistaking her sincerity. She was telling the truth, and the whole business was a worse tangle than ever before. "'Besides,' she added, "'I do not think Dick would do such a thing.' "'He did once,' returned her father, gloomily. "'But, Daddy, dear, he did not know what he was doing, and it—it was Phil's fault for giving him that pistol. I have mothered him for years, and I know. Whatever reason he had for committing suicide, Daddy, rest assured in the conviction that he did not kill my husband.' A ray of hope lighted Mr. Trenton's face. "'You really believe that, Ruth? You are not saying it just to comfort me?' She laid a hand upon his arm as she answered quietly, "'I don't believe it, Daddy. I know he did not murder Phil.' After that we could not believe it either, and so we were back once more exactly where we started from. In other words, we were moving in circles which ended where they had begun namely, in the police's assertion that Ruth was guilty, a beginning which we knew to be false on the face of it, but which we had no means of proving to anyone's satisfaction. "'The only thing to do is to hire a competent detective,' said Mr. Trenton emphatically that night at dinner. This recalled McKelvie to my mind. "'I have one in view,' I answered but he is away at present. "'Hire another one, then,' he retorted. But I preferred to wait, for as I said before, I had not much use for detectives, private or police, and the only reason that McKelvie appealed to me at all was because he did not seem from Jenkins's account to have much in common with the usual sleuth. Then Mr. Trenton wanted to rush out and employ a man on his own initiative, but this also I negatived, since no detective was far better than a mediocre fellow without a grain of imagination. I remembered Jones and shuddered for Ruth. I should like to say right here that if the reader thinks that both Mr. Trenton and I got over our grief at Dick's horrible end very rapidly, he must remember that human beings cannot be kept at high tension for a great length of time or the brain would snap. Everyday occurrences and the dire need of doing something for Ruth pushed to the background more recent happenings, particularly when Jenkins brought me word late that same night that Graydon McKelvie would see me at his home. Mr. Trenton, of course, desired to accompany me but I finally dissuaded him, telling him that it was better that only one of us should apply to McKelvie, especially as I had been forewarned that he was rather eccentric, to which Mr. Trenton grudgingly agreed, 
and I set out to interview this solver of crimes with a fluttering heart, for upon him I based all my remaining hopes. As I sat in the cozy little sitting-room of the old house on Stuyvesant Square, to which I had been conducted by a better-combed and more civil Dinah, with the announcement that, "'Mr. McKelvie'll be down in a second, sir,' I conjured a vision of the type of man I expected to see. I evolved a cross between an oddity and a mental Samson, a fretful, thin man, with a head too big for his body, who would speak in a querulous, high-pitched voice. The man who entered the room at that moment, and came toward me with extended hand, was none of these things. He was a slender, well-dressed young man, well above the medium height, with a pleasant but rather rugged cast of countenance, whose main features were a tenacious chin and a pair of brilliant black eyes. But when he spoke my name I forgot his appearance. Never had I heard such a melodious voice. It soothed the ear with its mellow richness, and remained in the mind long after it had ceased, like the echo of some clear-toned bell. And such was its power that by merely pronouncing my name he had made me believe that he alone of all the world could possibly solve the problem which was well-nigh overwhelming me. Later I came to know him better, and I should have liked him even without the added attraction of his voice, for he was a refined and cultured man, extremely clever, if eccentric, whose main idiosyncrasies seemed to be confined to a whole-souled worship of Sherlock Holmes, a decidedly autocratic manner, and a fondness for speaking satirically, even at the expense of his friends. "'Jenkins has told me that you have a problem which you wish me to look into,' he said, motioning me to be seated as he settled himself in a large armchair. "'Will you give me briefly the details of the case?' I am afraid my story was far from brief, for I told him everything from the moment I heard the shot, through the inquest, to Dick's suicide. He listened attentively to every word without comment, and when I was through he briskly assumed command. "'I have read of the crime in the papers,' he said, "'but I must study the coroner's personal notes of the inquest before I come to a decision.' He rose and walked to his desk as he spoke, where he scratched off a few lines on a sheet of notepaper which he enclosed in an envelope. "'What was the reason for young Trenton's removal from New York six months ago?' he asked abruptly, turning toward me as he sealed the envelope. "'Is it necessary to the investigation?' I inquired, loath to reveal the family skeleton. "'I do not ask unnecessary questions,' he returned coldly. Without more ado, I related the affair in all its sordid details. When I finished, he held out the envelope which he still retained in his hand. "'Kindly tell Jenkins to take this note to Coroner Graves,' he said. "'Meet me here at ten o'clock tomorrow for your answer. Good night, Mr. Davies.' 
before I could adjust my thoughts to his rapid speech, I found myself in the street, looking in some perplexity at the closed door of Graydon McKelvie's house. "'Well, I'll be hanged!' I exclaimed wrathfully as I climbed into my car. I drove away, in no very pleased frame of mind at the reception I had received, for when I reviewed the conversation, I realized that he had not compromised himself to help me at all. The moment I reached home, however, I forgot my annoyance at the cavalier way I had been treated. The sudden transformation of Jenkins's lugubrious countenance into an ecstatic smile as he hastened to carry out McKelvie's command, for that's just what it was, made me feel sanguine once more of that gentleman's aid. I put down his manner, therefore, to eccentricity and the natural desire to know more of the problem before he promised to bring his faculties to bear upon it. I passed the evening in Elysium, and I came down to earth with a bang when promptly at ten o'clock the next morning, in answer to my query, McKelvie tossed a sheet of paper across the table to me with the remark, Find the answers to those questions, and you'll have the name of the person who committed the crime. I looked at him, sitting smoking unconcernedly, to the paper in my hand, undecided which to tackle first, when my mind caught the sense of the words before me. After that I forgot my surroundings until I had absorbed every line that McKelvie had written. The document was drawn up in the form of a series of questions, with sufficient space below each one to insert the proper answer, and it read as follows. 1. Why was the pistol fired at midnight? 2. Did the murderer also light the lamp? 3. How did the murderer enter and leave the study? 4. What was the motive for the murder? 5. Why did the doctors disagree, and which was in the right? 6. Why did Philip Darwin put that ring on his finger and then pull it off? 7. Whose is the blood-stained handkerchief? 8. Where did the second bullet go? 9. Why is there so much evidence against Mrs. Darwin, and who would most desire to injure her? 10. Is Cora Manning the woman in the case, and if so, who and what is she? 11. What has become of Darwin's securities? 12. What is Lee Darwin's connection with the affair? 13. Why did Richard Trenton come to New York and then commit suicide? 14. What is the relation between Mr. Cunningham and the murdered man? 15. Which one of those having a sufficient motive for killing Darwin answers to the following description? Clever, unprincipled, and absolutely cold-blooded. Find the answers to those questions, I repeated when I had devoured the sheet with my eyes. It would take me a lifetime. For mercy's sake, don't fail me now when I have only you to depend on to help me, I cried. 
with an odd smile he took his pipe from his mouth and tapped the bowl upon his open palm then he looked at me and spoke abruptly if i take this case it will be on one condition a thousand if you wish i exclaimed impatiently no only one that when i give commands they shall be obeyed implicitly even though you may not be able to perceive their wisdom at the time i blinked at the unexpectedness of the answer and then held out my hand it shall be as you say mr mckelvie only don't let them convict ruth he clasped my hand i won't mr davies if she is guiltless and my first command is this i want an interview with mrs darwin this afternoon end of chapter 14